0: Okay, hello and welcome back to Domino Universe. I'm Curtis. I'm Jesse. And today we're going to be talking about the moon, uh, and specifically a video that I made about how to tell time with the moon, and also about how we used to go there, <laughs> and the, about the first time we went there.
1: Yeah, the, the date of recording is just before the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing, so it's nice and timely.
0: Yeah, uh, it's amazing firstly, that it's been 50 years since we first went there, and also that it's been almost 50 years since we've been there. Yeah,
1: I know. It's kind of depressing.
0: Yeah. Uh, but I want to start with talking... We'll get to the get to the landing uh, in the second half, but I want to start with talking about this video that I, I worked on. Um, and it's, I think, a good example of like behind the scenes in that the video that I wanted to make and the video that I started out making... Is completely different mm. than the video that I ended up making. Okay, which happens from time to time. I mean, I think that's the weird thing about being a creator is that you people only really see the end product, right? Sure. So, for this video, the video I was going, the video I was basically uh, started out making was going to be a collaboration with the Space Center uh, a man named Michael Unger asked me he works there at the Space Center in, in Vancouver asked me to make a, a video to celebrate the Apollo anniversary mm-hmm. and this was like last fall this was like eight months ago and so I've been thinking about like oh maybe I could make a rocket out of a out of a printer cool uh, you know like because so for some context IBM, was made the computers, some of the computers in the Apollo 11 rocket. Right. And that's the Saturn V. And modern day printers, modern IBM printers, Uh have larger and more powerful computers than the entire Saturn V did. Cool. Which is mind-blowing. Yeah, it really is. Um, I mean, we have, the classic line is that your phone has more computing power than that. Yeah. The whole mission
1: did. Right, like all of NASA in the 60s had nothing compared to a single phone yeah yeah
0: which is amazing um like how i don't know i can't believe that they there's a lot of calculations involved in getting to the moon yeah with like alive you know and sure (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but anyway i I was sort of thinking like okay what sorts of moon videos can i make that seems kind of hard to make a rocket or a fake rocket out of a printer and it's got to look good and it's got to be interesting and along this time i've well, for years now, I've been obsessed with the idea of sundials. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what if you made a moon dial? Can you actually make a moon dial? And uh, it turns out the answer to that is yes and no at okay. the same time, um, because telling time with the moon is, is really complicated. So I ended up, long story short, making a video about telling time by the moon and why it's hard and why it only kind of works works really well on a full moon at the equator yeah and in any other circumstance you just use your watch yeah um
1: would it be fair to say in a sense the moon is a sundial
0: wow that's like it's a comp like it's
1: mind. an overly complicated one
0: yeah i mean right I same, see what same you're principle though that's so fascinating yeah yeah, I got a few comments on. So the video I ended up making is actually just me trying to tell time with the moon, and unfortunately it was very very cloudy, so I was using images, which is not the original plan. Um, but I did get a lot of comments on that video by people saying like, "Oh, I just look at the moon, and I estimate where you know what the what direction the sun must be at that time." I'll
1: say when when I heard the concept of of the video telling time by the moon that would be my approach is look at the moon, look at where the shadows are and try to derive where the sun is behind me like behind the earth and then just figure out what time it is based on on that like you would when the sun is up except you know you're using the full 360 degrees but you had a different approach
0: to it. So I think there's there's two reasons that that, that I didn't go with that approach. One is that I think that that already requires a certain amount of intuition about how the sun and moon and earth are in relation to one another. Okay. Um, And I I think that most people, I mean, a lot of people don't know that the moon is smaller and closer to us than the sun is, right? Like they're they're, they're lacking very basic science things. So science, uh, understanding of science. So I wanted to like put all of that into context. And then the other thing, which is more interesting of a reason is the moon terminator problem okay have you heard about this no it's super mind-blowing okay and at least it was for me um if you look at the shadow on the moon so when you see the moon and it's half lit up it's like a crescent moon right yeah it's half a circle yeah what you're seeing is you know the sun is only hitting half of the moon that we can see but that that line between light and dark is called the moon terminator. Okay. And what's fascinating is that you would think that if you drew a perpendicular line to the moon terminator, mm-hmm. you would be able to always point directly a straight line to where the sun is in the sky, right? Yes. Because you'd be seeing the the sun, the part part of the the part of the moon that's lit up by the sun. Yeah. And you'd be able to draw a line straight to the sun from from what's getting right the problem is that that doesn't appear to work even at all like even remotely it doesn't work at all um because of how vision works and because of the fact that our atmosphere because we're on a sphere basically okay so if you actually drew a perpendicular line to the moon moon terminator and try to follow it through the sky it makes this huge curve it's pointing way normally I guess it depends on the time of day and and your latitude, but it's pointing nowhere even remotely towards the sun.
1: Right. Okay. Because rather than drawing straight lines, you want to be drawing like great circles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Orbital type lines. Yeah. Yeah. Right, Um, right, right.
0: And also because you're kind of looking at this big uh, three-dimensional image in two dimensions yeah right? right um it's like why when you take a fisheye lens to take a photo of a big of a small room yeah um if you look at the lines that are straight like straight wooden bars appear to be warped right um Ver- uh, not veritasium vsauce did a really interesting video on that we can okay. put the link in the description but yeah it turns out that that's like a very intuitive way and it's possible to tell time that way um
1: that third dimension gets us every time, huh? Right? It'd be so much simpler if it were just flatland. Flatland.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, as we've learned in the past, it is a sphere. <laughs> we live on a sphere.
1: How unfortunate.
0: Yeah. Um it does make the math more complicated in some ways, but anyway, I digress. So, in this video, tried to originally was going to go outside and tell time by the moon By actually, like, setting an alarm Mm -hmm. without knowing what time it was set for. Mm -hmm. And then, like, stumbling out in the dark and trying to tell time based on the moon and seeing how close I could get. Mm -hmm. But as with many things in making videos, uh, that didn't work out because it was cloudy for, like, a month here. Welcome to Vancouver. Yeah. But (laughs) normally in in the summer, we have a very bright, warm July and August. Sure. Yeah. Uh, like climate's doing some weird things lately yeah as you may or may not have heard in yeah. the news um but anyway, I couldn't film it I couldn't i i there was actually zero opportunities to film it before the before the Apollo missions I still wanted to do it release it in a timely manner around the moon landing mm-hmm. anniversary and there was no opportunities for me to actually film the moon because it was so cloudy okay so I ended up like making this indoor model and trying to kind of and it was fun, honestly. It was a lot of fun doing that. Um, but it's just like comple- a completely different video than what I was intending. Okay. Um, which is like kind of frustrating and, and kind of fun. But I think it. someone tweeted about this, and I forget who it was, about how science well, – Oh, about how, how like making videos is, is like 90% problem-solving. Sure. And I, And that was their tweet. And my takeaway from it was like, oh, yeah, like – I like science and I like making videos and both of those things are at their very core like solving problems and and trying to figure out ways to do things and mm-hmm. ask questions and get answers. Mm. Um, yeah. Reminds me of our of the mic stand. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, I mean, maybe at some point we'll, we'll release all of this on YouTube and you might be seeing footage of this but for those that are listening to this podcast, something that you might not know is that in almost every episode so far we've recorded, there's been we only have one mic stand. Yeah. And there's been one mic that has at times been held by me. Right now it's being held up by the stand that used to be for a globe.
1: The very globe featured in the moon video. There
0: you go. It all turns around. Yeah. Um, that's what the stand. Okay, sorry. I'll move on. Um, then at one point it was like the mo- from my monitor stand from my uh, my. T- my, not my tv screen my computer screen at one point it was in a boot it's been in a lot of things but anyway every time we go to record this and i forget that i don't have a stand at the time i have to solve a problem and i have to come up with the quick solution so that we can still record that morning uh, and that's kind of like i think the thing about science and the thing about making videos that people don't really see sure. i think it's kind of fun yeah um
1: the last minute scramble yeah to just make everything.
0: Just make it work. Yeah. I think that like when you read a scientific study, and I know most people haven't haven't gone and done this, but if you look at like the methodology for an experiment, it's like, how did they figure out that that was the right way to do it? Sure. Yeah. And like how many times, how many other things did they try?
1: Yeah. Which is, I'm sure, very often hidden in the final publication.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't often make sense to even record that. Like it, we tried all these things that didn't work. That's part of the story, but it often doesn't make the cut in terms of the publication. Right. Yeah. Um, But that's like at its core, kind of what science is all
1: about. Absolutely. Yeah. Trial and error.
0: Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I made this video kind of learned to tell time by the moon, but it can be very, very hard, especially here in Vancouver where the moon the moon can be up in the sky for 16 hours some days and then two weeks later it's up in the sky for for like eight hours so and then you have to there's a whole bunch of calculations you have to do if you want to actually learn to tell time based on the moon check out the video i'm not we're not going to go into that right now but what we do want to talk about today is the moon landings um and jesse you were recently even on a well, you were on CBC.
1: I, yeah, so I was contacted by a producer for a news program, and I, we've mentioned here before that I uh, work as a science communicator professionally. I used to do a little bit more TV, and it's, it's been a while, so it was nice to, uh, to do some, some mass media communication. Uh, but yeah, I was asked to come on uh, some uh, national television program and, uh, and talk a little bit about the Apollo 11 moon landing, which happened approximately 50 years ago, and what the relevance of that is to us today.
0: What was that like? like it was, being on
1: It was really cool. I can uh, I can give you a little peek behind the curtain. I think the way that it that it ultimately looked on the air is a an anchor on one side of the screen and me on the other side of the screen like two talking heads. We weren't in the same room together, but it looked all polished. It looked on on the television like we were we were talking to one another.
0: Were you both in Vancouver even?
1: No, the anchor was in Toronto. I was in Vancouver. So I went to the local Vancouver studio. Where there, you know, there's a newsroom, right? So there's people working. It's a bunch of cubicles, and you can sort of see everything that's going on, and that's in the background behind me. Um, there was a lighting person and a sound person that sort of set everything up. But essentially, they sat me on a stool facing into a corner with just an office behind me, like cubicles and lots of people working, and I was looking at a camera on a tripod, and I had an earpiece in where I could hear like crackly audio from Toronto. And I just spoke into this camera. There was no camera operator. It was all remote operated. So it's just me alone with an office of uh, workers behind me. And it's a bit of an awkward situation. But, you know, through TV magic, they managed to put it together into something that looks fantastic.
0: That's wild. I mean, like I make these YouTube videos and I'm just staring into the camera. But there's not really someone else. Like there was kind of literally someone else on the other side interviewing you
1: yeah there was like I that's say, it bizarre. was sort of a, a crackly distant voice in a, a single earpiece but yeah there was there was someone there
0: the disembodied head of CBC
1: yeah exactly
0: that's cool. so what kinds of what did so you talked a little bit about? why Apollo matters today and a bit about the mission you said Yeah yeah not so much about the mission itself I think they
1: had been talking to people who are experts in that field you know they'd been talking to Chris Hadfield for example an actual astronaut uh who has a, a lot more technical knowledge about that sort of thing than I do so I, I- mean
0: you know who, who's to say right <laughs> That's cool you're on the same that's that's big time.
1: You know, to be fair, I'm not sure actually whether it was a live interview with Chris Hadfield or whether it was a clip they were playing. But regardless, the point is they had they had real experts to talk about the technical stuff. Um, my expertise is a little bit more in the, the public perception of the, the moon landings and what kids in particular think about it today. So they were talking about, you know, do kids know? Is it relevant to children? Uh, is it uh, still an inspiration like it is to people who are there to see it? Um so we talked a little bit about that sort of what the the public awareness and consciousness is particularly in children of the Apollo moon landings.
0: Yeah, I think do do kids know about it? I mean, I really hope so.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I I don't know this stat for sure, so I'm kind of making this up a little bit, but I believe that Neil Armstrong is globally one of the most known names and figures. Like the first person to walk on the moon that's that's people all over the world know who that is. and still today kids uh, kids know that. Um, it's kind of funny, you know, everyone knows Neil Armstrong. Most people know Buzz Aldrin. no one knows anyone else. yeah, it's the first, the second, and then uh yeah, a bunch of other people did it. I don't know.
0: and also like the third guy that was on the Apollo 11 mission, yeah i don't even it's michael collins right? it's michael collins yeah okay for a moment there i mean that was horrible that i even had to <laughs> second guess myself over yeah. that yeah there was a third person on the mission that yeah. didn't land on the moon yeah he basically rode the lifeboat around the moon while buzz and neil landed and walked around um which made him at the time, and I think maybe even still to this day, the like loneliest, furthest away from the, the furthest person to ever go from. At the time, he was the furthest away from the Earth that anyone had ever been. Yeah. And he went there alone.
1: And the furthest away from any other human, which is, is kind of interesting as well. Yeah. No one has been further away from another person than, than Michael Collins on that mission. Perhaps subsequent Apollo missions. I don't know a lot about uh, the, the rest of the missions, but yeah. yeah, someone being on the opposite side of the moon. And um Out of communication with Earth as well when you're on the far side of the moon. So very remote, completely on your own. That's almost... uh, No, walking on the moon is a better experience. But being fully isolated from your own planet and your own species, is that's a pretty profound thing as well.
0: I remember listening to footage of the Apollo missions Mm -hmm. when the very first time, and it was Apollo 9, I think forget but the very first time they did an orbit around the moon mm-hmm. uh, the, the people in the mission control room were like okay we'll like hopefully see you on the other side and like however many hours later yeah and like just completely you know the there's these astronauts on the far side of the moon they're going to lose touch with them hopefully they'll hear from them again they don't know and there's this like huge cheer in the room they like well so firstly they like establish you know a connection with the spaceship hmm and then they wait to actually like hear from them. And then they actually like hear that the astronauts are alive and all as well. And it's yeah. this huge cheer in the room. It's like, yeah, man, no one had ever been that far away and not been able to get in touch with people. That must be yeah, quite a journey.
1: And uh, yeah, a lot of firsts in, in the whole Apollo series. Yeah. And actually, you mentioned hearing the recordings. There's a really neat project that I would encourage people to go check out. Um, we can link to it. I don't remember exactly what the, the name or the, the URL is, but nasa has put together this incredible web page that combines video still images and audio from all kinds of different sources from mission control from the astronauts themselves some news footage as well and they're playing out the apollo 11 mission in real time so you go onto this website and they've got all of these feeds sort of combined together so right now as we are recording this um 50 years ago from this point The mission was in progress. So on their way to the moon, they hadn't reached there quite yet. So if we went onto that website right now, we would hear the ground control checking in with Neil and Buzz and Michael and, and hear them responding. And we'd still see still images and mission data of what's going on right now on the Apollo 11 rocket. Uh, and it's a really cool project. You can skip around through it and hear the, the you know, Neil's first words from the moon, one small step, all that thing. And uh, yeah, it's really fascinating to, to listen to them, especially when the astronauts are coming around uh, the dark side of the moon, sorry, the far side of the moon they're talking about just how beautiful it is. There's they're out of touch with NASA. So we're hearing only them isolated. There's no work that they're doing. They're just looking out the window and be like, wow, look at that crater over there. Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, I think the earth is about to come up. Let's look for it. Where is it? Oh, I see it. Oh, it's incredible. Isn't this beautiful? And it's a really nice change from like the rest of the mission, they're very serious. There's a lot of really important work they're doing. They're constantly communicating with ground control but in this brief time when they're orbiting behind the moon there's nothing to do except look at the beauty of it and it's really nice to just listen to them doing that
0: yeah i think it's important to remember that like nasa has to follow this script right if yeah. they want everything to go well they have like a very clear this is the checklist we go through these items before launch in this order and everyone says this exact thing if everything's going well yeah
1: very much like a podcast
0: yeah it's An as, organized one. it's
1: <laughs> as uh, as professionally and meticulously organized yeah
0: um jesse and i just spent like an hour getting more organized so hopefully things will be a little more together in the future but anyway that's a a side thing the um but yeah with it's amazing whenever they go off script i know when i i was again listening to the recordings of when they landed and when you know they first before they stepped foot when they actually made contact and everyone was safe, there's this huge cheer in the mission control room mm-hmm. and the, the calm person, the Capcom commander person was like, okay, settle down everybody. Yeah. Like I, we're, we're, we still need to be on board here. We need to be doing work here. Uh, it was like really neat to, to see that, like it, that human look into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. A stat came to mind just a bit ago that I saw this morning. Um, you mentioned how like kids still know about the Apollo missions. I saw a stat today that was saying diff- from different countries, if you ask kids, what do they want to be when they grow up mm-hmm. in China? The number one thing they say, like more than half kids will say uh, they, they want to be an astronaut. Wow. Which is really cool. Yeah. In the United States and in, in the UK, it's like number five. Okay. the Top one. Yeah. It's YouTuber no way yeah no definitely yeah so you're I, living the dream i, I guess so I, I i'm kind of like the american dream it is the american dream i'm <laughs> sad by that though i mean and i actually saw it, the stat was po- was posted by i've seen it before but uh the one i saw was posted by mark rober who is a youtuber and he's like the irony is not lost on me that you know the number one it's like it's sad to me that astronaut is three times less likely Uh, you know, an ideal career for a kid as a YouTuber is. And he, this is a guy that quit NASA. Oh, really? To be a full-time YouTuber. Wow. And he's doing great. I mean, he has like 6 million subscribers, but um, anyway, it's just kind of funny to hear even him say that, but it is sad. Like, sure. I mean, I, I I, I obviously love what I do and I think that I'm hoping to, I'm trying to do a lot of good in the world, but man, like space exploration no one cares, apparently anyway
1: and number five is not not that bad
0: <laughs> yeah, it' it could be worse <laughs> um
1: that is an interesting stat
0: it's an interesting stat the okay, so i wanted to, well, we wanted to talk a little bit about like what do they actually do on that mission, so for those that aren't as familiar with the Apollo missions um Apollo 11 was the first time that they actually landed and walked around on the moon. Yeah. They'd gone around. People had gone around the moon before that. Um, but it was the first manned mission on the moon. They did a few more until the very early seventies. Uh, I think seven, 1971 was the last time that anyone set foot it might be 72. I
1: think it's 72, but yeah, in, in that around there.
0: Yeah. So it's been a long time since we've been there, but on the very first mission in 1969, um, yeah. What did they do while they're on the moon?
1: While they were on the moon, there were a few, um, a few key mission objectives, science objectives. Uh, the two big ones were collecting moon rocks, which are still being studied and, and kept in NASA vaults today, uh, some of which actually are in public institutions. And one of them is at the Space Center in Vancouver. Um, you know what, to be honest, I don't know if that's one of the Apollo 11 samples, but there is an actual moon rock, uh, that you can, you can touch, which is kind of neat. That's really neat. And, uh, the other big mission objective that they had was putting a retro reflector down on the moon. And this was on the near side of the moon. So the side of the moon that we can always see from the earth next to the sea of tranquility, which is one of the big dark patches, um, They put this retro reflector down, which is just a a mirror in a configuration that when light hits the mirror, the reflected light will go back in exactly the same path that the incoming light took, if if that makes sense. Um, So in other words, if you flash a light at the moon, you'll get a very small fraction of that flash will come directly back to you, which means that we can shine very precise laser pulses at the moon, detect how long it takes them to come back and based on the speed of light, we can measure exactly how far away the moon is to within a millimeter accuracy, which is way more accurate than we were able to do before. Um, Even with our most precise tools prior to this, we had essentially the same method of calculating how far away the moon is that Archimedes had, uh, you know, thousands of years ago. Slightly better telescope, sure, but same basic geometry. But with this retroreflector, we could measure the moon so accurately that it was actually a a major confirmation of Einstein's theory of relativity, which had predicted the decay of the moon's orbit and the details of like exactly how far away the moon would be to much more accurately a measurement than we were able to make.
0: That's one of the, that's amazing. Firstly, yeah, but also that's like my favorite thing about science is its predictive ability. Yeah, where you can have these theoretical physicists like Einstein, who didn't like spend his life in a lab. He spent his life doing math right. and physics. Yep, you know, on a chalkboard and on paper, and you know, all the classic ways when you think of a theoretical physicist. I'm imagining, um, but anyway, he predicted like the existence of black holes, which we only just took a photo of this year. Yep. And he predicted, yeah, that you would be able to, uh, yeah, this. Well, how? So how did that work with general relativity and the moon?
1: So it's his theory of of gravitation and how gravity actually works. Um, his his predictions, his math was so right. uh, precise that it, it made very precise uh, predictions about exactly where the moon would be at, at given times, how much the orbit would decay, just based on you know the fundamental theory of how gravity works. We weren't able to confirm it until Neil Armstrong put that mirror on the moon.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So there are a lot of indirect benefits, too, that I, I always like to mention. The, one of the big ones was uh, uh, miniaturization of computers. You know, prior to the Apollo missions, computers were room-sized mm-hmm. objects. And after Apollo, uh, you know, they did a huge amount of work to take those computers. And even though, like you say, the computers were less powerful than a modern printer's computer, still they had to take that from being the size of a room down to the size of you know a briefcase.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and we we would not have printers and phones and and microcomputers today had it not been for the work uh, done for Apollo.
0: That's so cool. Yeah, I wonder sometimes. I mean, so, like, part of that is the work of NASA and, like, of the Apollo missions. But I guess bigger picture, too, that's, like, the space race, right? Yep. Um, Russia or the the USSR at the time competing with America to get to the moon fastest. Yeah. And I kind of, like, wonder what sorts of things we could achieve if it wasn't – if we didn't need that sort of, like, national competition. If we just, like, actually wanted to put our minds to, like – I don't know, solving like climate change or something. Like if we wanted right. to actually solve these big problems and these big challenges, if we just step up, it's amazing. Like we went on the moon. Yeah. It's a long way away. Yeah. Yeah. Alas, well, You someday. know, sometimes
1: a little friendly competition is nice. It, it would be great if there weren't, you know, the war part of the Cold War. Uh, if we could just do it with – uh uh sportsman-like competition but yeah sometimes it it takes a motivator
0: i really love the the whole concept of like the x prizes Mm -hmm. and like these big prizes like the i think there was one recently actually for a lunar lander probe yes to go to to go to the moon and you have to drive a certain distance and you'd win like a million dollars or ten million dollars or something if your team could do it
1: fun fact a friend of mine is actually part of uh, one of the teams competing for that x prize that's
0: really awesome yeah um yeah, so I think things like that are, are great and everybody wins. I mean, worst case scenario, people tried stuff and learned some things. Trial and error. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we'll see at any rate. One thing I am kind of concerned about, which we've talked about briefly on this podcast before, um, and I think it's a problem that does need solving, is space junk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, so the, the thing about space travel while it's very interesting and very great and we've learned a lot about the solar system and the universe every time we send a probe up into space there's usually junk left in our atmosphere or in the in earth's orbit and that's building up and it's kind of a concern that at some point we might not be able to actually leave the solar leave the leave the planet yeah uh, most
1: of the stuff that goes up does not come back down um, so there are dead satellites that just have run out of power. We don't use them anymore; their missions are over, but they're still in orbit. You know, space is big, but all it takes is one or two collisions of these these dead satellites, and uh, and they can multiply the space junk by thousands of times. Uh, you know, if something breaks apart into a thousand pieces. Now you've got a thousand new things to worry about, and there's a potential for a runaway chain effect. Um, of the space junk, which would potentially make it very difficult or even impossible to launch anything into orbit.
0: It's mind-blowing to me, before you say what you're about to say, it's mind-blowing to me that it might be harder in the future to go to the moon than it was 50 years ago. Yeah, it's true. That's horrifying.
1: Yeah, it is. Now, luckily, there are people who are working on this problem and uh, and addressing it and tracking all of these thousands of pieces of junk out in space. And uh, one of them is going to be our shout out for today, uh, the a science communicator that we would like to direct your attention to. This is actually someone I had the good fortune of meeting at a conference not terribly long ago. Uh, his name is Moriba Ja. I may be mispronouncing that. Um, but he's an astrodynamicist, which means that he plots out orbital... Um, uh, like pathways and, and figures out the, the details of, uh, of space launches. He's a space environmentalist, which is a cool title just to begin with. Uh, and what that means is that he's primarily concerned with the space junk, tracking it, reducing it, and, uh, and avoiding it. Um, he's got a great Twitter feed. Uh, you can find him just at moriba Jha. We'll put a link in the, in the description, but it's M-O-R-I-B-A-J-A-H. And just recently, he had a TED Talk published. He's had a few smaller TEDx talks, but this was a big TED conference talk. That's really good, and you should check it out. And it tells you all about the space junk problem and what we can do to fix it.
0: We'll put a link to that in the description as well. Yeah. Cool. This is fun. Um, I'm a huge fan of space. And so, I mean, I hope we get to talk more about it in the future. I, I have
1: one more quick fact for you. Oh, please. Speaking of telling time using the moon, do you know what time it is on the moon?
0: Uh, where on the moon
1: everywhere on the moon what they use Houston time
0: oh I understand
1: because Apollo's mission control was in in Houston so according to NASA like officially by American standards the entire moon is in the same time zone as Houston Texas
0: at some point we should do an episode on time zones oh my goodness time zones (laughs) and uh, daylight savings time yeah because oh man that's a mess yeah Maybe we'll do that when everybody's trying to wake up and failing and sleepless and red-eyed from the next time change
1: Ooh, we should do we should record that podcast in the hour that's hilarious you know like the double hour of the year yeah
0: okay <laughs> cool stay tuned everybody <laughs> thanks so much for listening and uh yeah subscribe wherever you get your podcasts we're pretty much everywhere at this point and yeah i'm curtis i'm jesse we'll see you next time
1: bye